Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. A pure heart? A pure heart is unsoiled. It's a clean heart. If I say it's a clean heart, does anything come to your mind from Scripture? Jameis? In what way? Jesus is perfect, yeah. I was thinking of the phrase. Where, where else does it occur? It's Psalm 51. Yeah, Psalm 51, uh, 5 is surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the moment my mother conceived me. But verse 10 is create in me a pure heart or a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or right spirit within me. So the prayer of David, prayer of a sinful man. Um, the pure in heart, uh, Luther really jumped out at me reading this. I forget if it was last night or this morning. Luther um, really lays into the occupation of the smith in his commentary on the, on the, on the Sermon on the Mount at this point. And since that's my last name, I, it, it jumps out at me. Um, <clears throat> Luther uh, says, think of the smith, the blacksmith. He has the sweatiest job imaginable. You know, he's got these big arms and he's just beaten on an anvil all day and he gets all sweaty and greasy and grimy and stained and smelly. And Luther really goes into detail about the different odors that a blacksmith can have. And then he says he comes home and he sits down at the table and his wife doesn't wrinkle up her nose or even if she does, she lays his meal before him. And the, and the blacksmith might say, thank you, Lord, for my good wife and this good meal and a house over my head and all the blessings that you give me. And that sweaty, stinky, slimy blacksmith has the purest heart because of his faith, because it isn't about what you look like on the outside or how you dress or even uh, whether you've discovered deodorant or not. It is simply you have a pure heart. Yeah, when just I, some of you know that I worked on a translation for a new translation of scripture um, and I worked on Jeremiah and Isaiah and uh, it, it doesn't occur in, in Jeremiah very much but it does occur in Isaiah quite a bit the word smith or blacksmith and in my translation I kept omitting black I just wrote smith because that's really all the Hebrew word means doesn't necessarily mean you know, he could be a coppersmith or a goldsmith or a silversmith or what, really just a metal worker. So I just said smith. And I've noticed in the published editions, they put the word black back in. So it's always blacksmith instead of just the smith. But I liked it because all of those are law passages. You know, the, 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 the blacksmith sins by creating a false god and so forth. That's what almost all those references are. And I thought, I like to see my name in a law context because it cuts me to the heart and reminds me that there I am too. But I think the editor was afraid somebody else might be offended. But I thought, isn't that what the law is there to do, is to offend me? But anyway, it's all blacksmith again. Well, this psalm, psalm this uh, proverb has, in the second half, they will see God. What does that mean? I didn't expect this to blow up like this, but I looked it up in the dogmaticians of the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries. There's a huge debate over whether this is physical or spiritual. 
Um, and I, I, I've discovered that even a hundred years ago in this church, there would have probably have been a different attitude about what kind of seeing God is this. I think most of us, if I said you will see God, would you think it's physical or only spiritual? Well, no, no, I don't want you to say both. Is it, is it primarily one or the other? Okay, I better do this by show of hands. Who says we will physically see God in heaven? That's what the question is. And who says we will not see God in heaven, but only be aware of him somehow with our minds? That's the difference the dogmaticians are talking about. And even, even as recently as um, the generation before old Pastor Hinnenthal. Okay? That's, any of you know Bob Hinnenthal? The, he's now, they don't live here anymore, but they still come once in a while. But his dad... Dad or grandfather? Grandfather was a pastor here at St. Paul's. And in the generation just before him, around 1890 to 1910, that generation um, still thought this is only spiritual and not a physical seeing. But the line of reasoning that I would put out there is God can be heard Therefore, if one sense, this, this is typical dogmatic reasoning. If one sense is employed, how can you say that other senses would not be employed? So if you can hear him, you should be able to still see him. And then the, the, the counter of that is, well, in the Lord's Supper, are you tasting Christ physically or only spiritually that is in the sacrament? Well, okay, but that doesn't mean you're not going to, that, you, that they didn't see Christ, for example, in the transfiguration or the resurrection appearances and, and, and so forth. So, Mark, then Laura. The key, the core, yeah. Good. Laura? So was their question whether or not we would see God when we're in heaven? Or that, that was the, what the debate was about. But how can that be a question when Job, he says, with my own eyes I will see him, I am not another? Yeah, that's also a dogmatic proof, um, along with uh, uh, Luke 16 and other things, that we will certainly see God. And yet, you have this, there is this, and I, I've run into it even in our generation here with a member who's no longer here. Um, a member of their family took a call and they all left. But I remember having this debate with one of our members who seriously took, had a, had, took issue with one of my sermons because I mentioned um, faith in heaven. Um, do I need to have faith in heaven if Christ is passing me the mashed potatoes? You know, he's there. You know, I, 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 that's different. That, that's, that's actually having him there with you in a different, if it, it's a matter apart from faith. That's simply seeing. You know, we will have more than faith here. And what the individual had a problem with is that I mentioned, and the word she used was, he will pass me the baked potatoes, which irritated me because I said mashed. I don't like baked potatoes. I said mashed. But she, 
because for me, heaven will be mashed potatoes, not big. But, um, but she came from a whole line of a school of thought that says we will not eat in heaven or drink. And, uh, well, that, that's, uh, that's something for another time. Uh, for the different time. Yeah, yes. Well, I and the Father are one. If you if you've seen me, you have seen the Father, um, and uh, right, right. And since God the Father is Spirit, will we even see God the Father, or is He simply as He was in the creation, the 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 emanating source of all light, and goodness and love and creation and so forth? And so, I um. I just thought I would share that with you. Sometimes I go down these rabbit holes and I, I'm hoping that, you know, my Lutheran forebears will help me with a point and I end up with, wow, they had a huge fight about this. Um, and uh, fascinating to see, you know, the, the back and forth of, of some of these things because sometimes it is, sometimes it is pietism that's rearing its head, that's keeping people from seeing passages like Job 19.25. Um, and pietism got into not only the Lutheran church, but it got into the Catholic church. It got into all the Reformed churches for a while in the 1700s. It became a huge problem. This, this minister in Germany named Jacob Spainer um, wrote a, a thing called, the, I think, the Pia Desideria, the, 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 the true pietism um, of Christ. And, and for a while, that uh, took Christianity in, in Europe off on this spin of the sanctified life as being what's important was really uh, connected to what drives the Amish and Mennonite churches. You know, what you do is what's, is what's important. And finally, Methodism. So, just continuing with pure heart here, can somebody think of a time when Jesus showed his pure heart? Yeah, I think all of his ministry again. I was thinking of the boy of the boy Jesus of twelve, a pure heart, even though it meant some gentle opposition to what mom and stepdad were saying. But Mark, another one. They will not see God. Yeah. Or they will only see the unwinking eye of God's wrath in hell forever. You, you don't want that either. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. Peacemakers are simply those who make peace between others. And this could go either spiritual or physical or worldly peace, whether... You know, whichever one it is. Um, who are some of the more famous, uh, maybe worldly peacemakers? Jameis? Martin Luther King Jr.? Really going for equality? Um, who else? Gandhi? Not a, not a bad uh, example of a worldly peacemaker. Mother Teresa, 
Yeah, very good, very good. Worldly, yeah, all of those are worldly, worldly peacemakers. Spiritual peacemakers? I mean, really, a, a spiritual peacemaker is someone who wants to make peace between God and man to get in between. And, and a, a spiritual peacemaker would be someone who wants to uh, restore the true teaching of Scripture. I would put Martin Luther in, the, in that category very quickly. Anybody else? The Gettys? I'll, I'll let that stand. Okay. Yes, I'm getting here. We love the Gettys. Composers. Yeah, some composers. Um, so you put angels in that category? Well, yeah, that, 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 that's an unseen, that, that's an that's a insightful thought. Because there is that unseen combat that we never even know about. Um, uh, that's when uh, the angels who are sent to protect us are doing their doing their work in a more aggressive way. Yeah, Daniel. Uh, we find out about that in Daniel when the one angel comes and basically says, "Sorry, I was late, but there was a fight back in Persia, and I'm and so now I'm here finally." Um, Daniel is a fascinating book. Um, I've written on it once, taught it a couple times. And it's on the schedule for the email devotions again, but not for a few years, but it's coming up. Yeah. Mark? Right. That, that's, that's, that's Christ himself in all of his labor is to bring peace to his kingdom, the way that God gathers the elect. And then finally, that's the role of preachers and teachers, Sunday school teachers, mommies. Um, Ashley Cushel is home with a three-day-old baby right now, teaching that little boy about his Savior. Um, they've been home for 20, 25 hours now. Um, yeah, with little, little Patrick. Um, a couple of verses that seem to be opposites in this case, but take them um, in context. Ephesians 6.15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Be ready for, to, to spring into action for the gospel of peace in your own life, in your own family, among your own friends. But then again, Proverbs 26 Leave it to Solomon to take the opposite side of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a good subject. Like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel, not his own. Um, you know, it, it isn't always appropriate to jump into somebody else's argument. You may not have all the facts. Yes, a big, big difference between meddling and peacemaking. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Luther uses the phrase, much overlooking of harsh words. A peacemaker. 
I think one of the most difficult tasks I can imagine would be that of an ambassador. It would be incredibly difficult to be an ambassador, uh, in my opinion. I don't think I have the personality for it because you've got to do what your government tells you. Uh, an ambassador does not use his or her own words, and yet you're in the, the nest of the enemy, as it were, you know, or you can be at certain times. The, the, the two men who were the U.S. ambassadors um, from Japan in the fall and, uh, of, of 1941 complained furiously later and after the war at what they had to do because their orders were essentially to delay the U.S. understanding what was happening in the Pacific by delaying the, they, they had this ultimatum to deliver and yet the Japanese government had withdrawn even the secretaries who could type. And so there are these two old fuddy-duddies born in the 19th century, you know, who are in the days of horse and buggy trying to finger peck, you know, to hunt and peck. To, and it took them hours to type out a couple page document because they had no one to help them. And they ended up being late and it was just a mess of, of what happened there. A difficult, difficult situation. Mark? Yeah, yeah, I've heard that part of it, that he can slap you in the face and you'll thank him for it. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty smooth talker. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, being a peacemaker can be a most disagreeable work, but nevertheless, um, a most blessed work, blessed work. I forget where I got that particular quote. I don't think that I wrote that. I think it might come from somebody like Armin Panning, who's one of the most gentle, agreeable men I've ever met was our seminary president for a few years. In the beginning of my time at the seminary was President Panning. Verse nine. No, we're still in verse nine. I was gonna ask you to think of a time when Jesus showed himself to be a peacemaker. I was thinking of the ear. He's being arrested and he, and he bothers to stoop down and heal the guy's ear. Um, that's, yeah, that, that's tremendous, speaking to his enemies and so forth. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, being persecuted, this kind of righteousness is probably both, both the, the, the life of faith, but also the life that acts out our faith. But what are people who persecute Christians are more liable to do it because we're acting out our faith. They see what we do and they're not happy about it. So I, I, I would like to just read something from 1 Peter 4, um, a couple of verses. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Um, to rejoice in the or rather to participate in the sufferings of Christ is not something we would look forward to. There was a time in the early days of Christian martyrdom around the end of the first century, beginning of the second century, when certain 
Christians thought it would be more noble and worthy of their faith to go to the arena and be martyred for their faith. They thought, I, I want that. I want to show my faith. And the problem was they got there and then they saw the animals. They saw the lions and the leopards and so forth and they chickened out. Um, and the, the, the problem, and some Christian authors talk about this, and what they, they, they don't condemn anybody for getting scared in the arena of a wild animal who's about to eat you. Who, who could com- condemn anybody for being afraid of that? However, what they condemn is why would you put yourself into that situation? You know, why, why would you volunteer to do that? If they arrest you, that's one thing. Um, and then you can, it's okay to go kicking and screaming if they arrest you. You know, but if they didn't arrest you, why would you turn yourself in? You know, you're really, you, you could damage your faith because then you might feel as if you let Christ down and it'll be the last moments of your life and you may die in, what, despair and fear and great pain. And so they, they discouraged them. And one of the men who did that, who discouraged people from talking that way, was Ignatius of Antioch who, who said those things on his way because he had been arrested. He was on his way to the arena to be killed by wild animals. And he would talk to people like, don't, don't follow me. Don't, don't encourage me. Don't think that I'm a saint. Don't build me up with your words. I've, I've been arrested. And by the way, I, I need someone to fill my spot. Um, and that, that's the way he talks in his, in his letters. A very remarkable man. Um, I'm still going to go on here with Peter, though, for a couple more verses. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should be not as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Did we just talk about meddling a couple minutes ago and here it is again yeah don't be a meddler can you think of people in scripture let's start with old testament who were persecuted because of their faith daniel good very good and as long as we're in daniel shadrach meshach and abednego also yeah Jameis. Esther, yeah, and, and Mordecai was, yeah, persecuted because of his faith. Good, good, an unusual one. Good job, Jameis. Anybody else? Isaiah had problems. I also then thought of Jeremiah, who got imprisoned at least three different times in his ministry. Isaiah, I, I, Jeremiah ended up in a cistern once shackled on his way to Babylon, although he got released that time. And also he was in kind of house arrest in an inner room of a, of a courtyard. So he arrested a couple different ways. I thought of these guys. I thought of Abel. Persecuted, killed because of his faith by his jealous brother. Jacob um, with, with, with Laban. Joseph by his brothers. Um, the Jews in Egypt persecuted by a pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph. And then some of those same Jews 
Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and others who persecuted Moses um, in the wilderness because of his faith. David, uh, persecuted not by Saul and by others. Um, the hundred prophets. Anybody know the story of the hundred prophets and Jezebel? It's only about two verses long. You can blink and miss it. Do you remember it, Jameis? Yeah, it's one of the Obadiahs. I don't know if it's the prophet Obadiah or not. It might have been, but a guy named Obadiah hid a hundred prophets in two different caves because queen, bad Queen Jezebel was trying to kill them. Um, and then Elijah, how many, how many believing prophets went up to Mount Carmel to face off all the, all the hundreds of unbelieving prophets of Baal? Just Elijah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And immediately after that incident, where does he? What does he do? He runs away to Mount Sinai to hide. Yeah, um, Elisha. What did those naughty boys say to Elisha? Go on up, old baldy. Yeah, um, and I, Isaiah, Jeremiah. I thought of John the Baptist. Persecuted. Persecuted by, by, uh, by uh, Herod. And then Jesus himself, of course, throughout his ministry, attacked by the Pharisees and Sadducees and others. Peter, Paul. That, how did Peter die? Anybody know? That? It's, it's a post-scriptural led. Yeah, well, and, and crucified. Crucified. The, the actual account says that he and his wife were being taken out together to be crucified that she told him she was afraid and he cheered her up by um, uh, reminding her of the Lord Jesus. And then when they put her into the, her cross, into the hole in the ground, Peter said, I, I, I don't deserve to, be, to have the same death as my Savior. So he just flipped it upside down, put him in upside down. And that's how both of them died, Peter and his wife. Mrs. Peter. Even the, even the account doesn't tell us her name, but Peter and Mrs. Peter. The Gospels mention, I mean, the, the New Testament mentions her a couple of times, but don't know her name. And then Paul, he himself persecuted, but then he got persecuted, stoned, left for dead, and so forth, and many, many others. Thanks once again for letting me do this. God bless you all. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.